Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Food Flakes cast. This is our third episode, and I am Doug Flutie. And today our guest will be Warren Moon, Hall of Fame quarterback. He took a similar route that I took. He went up through the CFL, had to work his way back to the NFL, uh, went 12 rounds without being drafted, earned his keep up there to turn into a Hall of Fame quarterback in both leagues and have a tremendous career, threw up for nearly 70,000 yards combined. Um, I bring that up because both Warren and I, both Warren Moon and I kind of went through this path where we had to earn our keep and, and earn an opportunity. And we, things didn't just kind of fall in our lap to get that big opportunity. And we're looking at a day and age today where, especially this year with a lot of quarterbacks potentially on the move and, and moving from one team to another, we're seeing a day and age where players are starting to request to be released want to move on give me this opportunity i don't i want out of this situation i want that situation you know when i was coming up through the ranks the only guys that ever did that john elway was drafted by the then i believe baltimore colts and uh refused to play for the colts because he didn't think the franchise was going to have an opportunity to win and winds up in denver has a hall of fame career makes a great career for himself there and then Eli Manning. Eli Manning also was he was drafted by the San Diego Chargers. Actually, while I was with the Chargers, he refused to play for the Chargers, waited it out. He ends up going to the Giants. You know, things seemed to work out for him with a couple of Super Bowls. So players, it wasn't always the norm, but now it seems like it's a lot more the norm to kind of request a trade, request the release, request the opportunity to go elsewhere. And this has always happened in the NBA, and it's happening more and more now in the NFL. I always say, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Uh, I was very jealous of the guys that could start with one team, stay with a franchise their entire career, build a legacy there, build a rapport with the community, and year after year, build on your offense, continue to improve. I, I use Tom Brady or an Aaron Rodgers in his example that the offense becomes second nature. They know it like the back of their hand. They know the guys around them, the organizations, what is expected of them, and then you gain this rapport with your community. The bouncing from team to team and winning a Super Bowl is not easy. Tom Brady might have made it look easy this year. It wasn't. And Tom didn't have the offseason. He didn't have a lot of advantages that, that a lot of guys have when they do make that switch. But again, this year, uh, it's going to be a, a smaller offseason. It's going to be a, are they going to have many camps? Are they going to have all the opportunities to do things they need to do before a regular season? Last year, there were no preseason games. Will they have preseason games with a new team? So I look at Deshaun Watson's situation and see if he's going to move on. And he's a talented quarterback, no question about it. He's a Super Bowl caliber quarterback, I firmly believe. But it's not that easy to go into a new franchise to build rapport with your players, to learn a new offense. I can't emphasize that enough. To learn a new offense is very difficult. It's like learning a new language. It's like learning a second language. It's always going to be your second language. You have to make these instantaneous decisions over the ball, whether it's a protection call, whether it's a run-to-pass call or pass-to-run, and that terminology has got to be second nature. You've got to be able to line people up. You've got to know that the X receiver has to cut down his split. You have to know which guy's going in motion on the run plays to get the backside. And there's a lot of little detailed information 
that terminology wise, especially in a two minute, needs to just be on the tip of your tongue and ready to go. And, and you saw it with Tampa Bay this year. They struggled early, or for them, they struggled, and they really got it rolling as the season went on. And by the end of the year, they were a dominant team and, and had the opportunity to make that run. So I, I look at these young guys, I see the opportunity to, to uh, move on. They, they don't like their situation. Maybe they believe they can't win in their current situation, that things aren't going to work out. But be careful what you ask for. If you move on, you better be darn sure that that opportunity ahead of you is better than the one you left. And it's a possibility where you're going you're gonna to have to get along with coaches. You're going to have to have an offense that suits your abilities. Another example with Tom Brady, he went to a completely different style of offense. Now, he altered it a little bit to make, make himself comfortable, but you want to go into an offense that suits you. You know, maybe you're not the big arm guy. Drew Brees, say, Drew Brees, would, he loves the efficient short passing game. But a guy like Deshaun Watson can air it out, send it down the field. He does the run past option things. He can take off and run as a quarterback. He needs an offensive coordinator that is going to be in his corner, allow him to do the things he does well to be successful. I really think the opportunity to be successful is, is building on your own, in your own situation, and continue to build on the offense you're already in knowing the terminology, knowing the guys around you, and continuing on that path. So just a little tidbit there. I, I believe that that is your best opportunity to win in the NFL. Be sure to get your Flutie Flakes cast on Sirius XM app or wherever you get your podcast. And coming up, we have uh, Warren Moon, Hall of Fame quarterback in both the CFL and NFL. He won five great cups in his six-year stint up in the CFL with the Edmonton Eskimos. Made his Hall of Fame career really with the Houston Oilers and bounced around a little at the end of his career, but uh, just a phenomenal quarterback, big arm guy that had to go earn his opportunity in Canada. Hey everybody, this is Fran Freshella, host of the podcast, World of Basketball. Each week we chat with the players, coaches, and executives who have helped grow the game of basketball around the world, like Toronto Raptors championship winning coach, Nick Nurse. I, I always say this, I, I, I don't know why I picked this number, Fran, but I always say the X and O stuff's about 15% of the job. It really yeah. is. Episodes are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I'd like to welcome Warren Moon to the podcast and uh, Warren, amazing career. He went to the CFL initially to get his opportunity, became a CFL Hall of Famer, became an NFL Hall of Famer after that, threw for ridiculous yards in Canada, won great cups after great cups in Canada, comes to the NFL, nine-time Pro Bowler, combined like 70,000 yards, just ridiculous. Um I love talking to guys that had to earn their keep and earn their way. I'm always kind of a little jealous of those guys that are first-round draft choices. It's kind of good handed to them. So that's uh, another reason why I absolutely love Warren Moon. Warren, how you doing and what's been going on lately? Doug, I am doing great, man. And uh, just finished up uh, the NFL season as everybody else did and also college football season. I'm, I'm still a huge fan. I still follow it all and, and uh, you know, just love being around the game. Um, it's amazing that they were able to finish the college college season and the pro season with everything that went on this year with the pandemic and that. So you got to give all the players and the coaches and all the team staff a lot of credit. No games canceled in the NFL. Now they did do that in college. A little bit, a little bit harder to keep all those young guys together. But the way the NFL was able to keep it all together, maybe postpone a couple of games in that. But other than that, they were all played. 
I think it was just an amazing feat by by both uh, college football and professional football to even have a season. I'm looking at you on screen here, and you're still in great shape. And last time I remember seeing you throw the football around, you could still sling it. And I, I joked with you, you're still slinging it around. And you say you throw it with your son a little bit. Uh, what's his situation? You know, he just turned 14. Uh, he wasn't able to play a season this year because they, they just didn't have uh, a high school football or they didn't have uh, Pop Warner football, which is what he would have been his last year before he goes to high school next year. They did have a couple of camps that he went to so he could just, you know, keep doing agilities and staying in shape and working on fundamentals. They had something like that where the, the kids didn't have a whole lot of contact. But it was tough on him, you know, because he he was really starting to get into football because he only played the one year last year of, uh, of tackle football. I let him play flag a couple of years before that just to kind of get introduced to it. But uh, he's a really, really uh, good athlete and he loves it. Um, so for him to not be able to play, it was really tough. It is tough on these kids anyway. They're not able to socialize at all. I think he's gone the last couple of months without even seeing any of his friends because his mom is really, she's really uh, careful about, you know, who he's around and that type of thing. So uh, she might be a little bit too careful sometimes, but hey, too careful is better than not being careful enough. So um, I think he's doing okay otherwise. He, you know, he, he plays a lot of basketball in the backyard. I have a hoop and all that. And he tries to keep himself as active as he possibly can. And, and like you said, I throw him the football. And, and I tell you what, when I throw it to him, Doug, I don't take anything off of it either. And he, and I, he catches everything with his hands and works on his footwork. I mean, he, he's very, very uh, diligent about what he does. See, we look at it differently. We're, I play, you can throw a ball to a kid or you can throw the ball to an adult and within two seconds evaluate the type of athlete he is, uh, you know, he, he body caught it. He hugged it to his chest. He reached out and caught it in his hands, always below his waist. Pinkies were together. He just snatched it like it was. It's, a, it's amazing how we look at and can evaluate instantaneous the athleticism of an individual by the way they catch a football or a ball in general and the way they handle it. But you bring something up about the pandemic that I, I'm in Florida. We're very open down here. Um, the kids are back in school and all that. And I know it's been a big stressful situation across the country for everyone, adult, parents, kids. And I just hope everything gets back to um, allow these kids to be social again. Warren, when, I, when you and I are together, right away, I turn to looking at my CFL days. Tell us a little bit about the way that you came out undrafted through a 12-round draft, people, not, not the seven-round, 12-round draft, Warren Moon was not drafted, ended up going to Canada to play football. What was your Canada experience like? You know, it was really great, and I'm sure you enjoyed yourself when you were up there because it was just refreshing to be able to just go out and play football and not have to worry about being judged about anything else but, but how you play. Um, the fans up there are, are tremendous. You know, there's not as many of them, but I'll tell you what, they make as much noise as is you would feel like you're in a 60, 70,000 seat stadium. And, uh, you know, in Edmonton, we had a brand new stadium, a Commonwealth Stadium. So we sold our place out every week. And uh, we, I think we had 60, 65,000 people there all the time. It was a great atmosphere. Uh, Edmonton was an interesting city, but it was, it was uh, kind of reminded me of my time in, in Houston because Houston is more like the, um, the Edmonton of Canada and uh, Dallas is more like the Calgary of Canada. You know, it's like, because you had the oil, the, you had the oil industry there, right? So the oil companies were basically in, in uh, Calgary. And then, you know, all the refineries and stuff like that were down in the Edmonton side. So it, it reminded me a lot of being in Texas. 
Um, but I just love the fans up there, even to this day. I, I still have fans following me from Canada, and um, I had so many positive memories of playing up there. My, my first son was born in Canada, so I'll always have that memory. Uh, socialized medicine was something that was very, very interesting to me. I, I just loved it. It cost me $6 to have my son born. Was, and the only, only reason why it cost $6 is because my wife had a private room. You know, that's what you pay the extra $6 for. <laughs> Um, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, I was on a team that won five straight championships, uh, in a professional sport that hasn't been done since by any, any team, any type of team sport. So that's something that I'm always going to have a, a special part of playing in that, that, that I was a part of something like that. And, um, I get together with some of those guys every now and then on podcasts or whatever it might be. And it's like, we never left each other. It's, it's like that bond that you create when you win a championship. It's, it's forever. It's for life, no matter what else you might be doing the rest of your life. So Canada was always a positive experience, even though that wasn't the place where I wanted to go coming out of college. I don't think any American kid that played football wants to go to the Canadian League after they get done playing uh, college football. They want to go to the NFL. And that was my dream, just like everybody else. But I had to be realistic that I was playing a position that wasn't very uh, popular for African-Americans to be playing at that time. And I knew it was going to be a difficult journey. So I, I just was looking for whatever opportunity I could get to play the position and uh, continue to keep trying to improve and impress people. And hopefully one day, you know, people would see that I can play the game or, or minds would change or whatever it might be to give me a chance to play and show what I could do. My one socialized medicine thing, or it really isn't about the socialized medicine aspect of it. It was my first year in British Columbia and I cracked a rib at the end of a game. And I just assumed I'd go in and get an x-ray. And no, I, I, I couldn't, when you crack a root, you can't bend over, hunch over. It's hard to stand up. It's hard to take a deep breath. It's whatever. So I remember having to drive to the hospital. My wife drove me to the hospital to get a, an x-ray for the rib. I had to, to get into the car. I had to hunch down. I crawled across the back seat just to get in and shut the door behind and said, go. And I ended up going to the hospital. and had to wait three or four hours that night to get an x-ray and all. It just wasn't the NFL, right? There wasn't a facility within the facility, you know, an x-ray machine within the facility and all those things that we became accustomed to. Um, as far as how about when you got the phone call or your opportunity to go to the Oilers, what were you surprised? Were you excited? What, how did it happen? Well, you know, up in Canada, there's NFL scouts at all the games. So I, I was always aware of that. Um, a big part of my reason why I stayed as long as I did is first I love loved playing there and enjoyed the winning, enjoyed the you know the money that I was making and all that. Much. But um, it was always in the back of my mind: was I good enough to play in the NFL? Because you know people had said I couldn't and I, and I didn't get the opportunity. So I always wondered: okay, can I play with the best players in the world? So that was my curiosity to, to come back. Um, the Houston Oilers had, had made a pitch for me the year before I actually came to the league. They, they secretly flew me down to Houston, uh, took me into the city, uh, gave me a tour of the facility. We, we had dinner in a restaurant and a back in a private room. So nobody knew I was in town, my wife and I, for about a, for a day, almost a day. And uh, then, then they whisked me back out of town. Uh, but I wasn't able to get out of my contract that year. So the next year is when, they, when I was able to get out of my deal. Um, that's when all the other teams – you know, came into the fold and I had about eight teams that were bidding for my services coming back to the league. And we just 
put together the whole bidding process, my attorney, Lee Steinberg, and I, and uh, came up with Houston as a team, and mainly because they gave me the best financial package. And, you know, Hugh Campbell, who was my Canadian Football League coach my first five years up there, he had been named head coach previous to that. So those were the two reasons why I decided to go to Houston. I had a coach that I was familiar with and had success with. And then I had a, a really great financial package, which made me the highest paid player in the league at that time, which was ironic after everybody thought I couldn't even play the game. So Hugh Campbell took a job with the Oilers? Yeah, he had gone, he had left Edmonton to go to the LA Express and he coached there for, I think, two years. And then um, they they hired him there after uh, Bum Phillips left to be the head coach of Houston. And I don't know if they did it in, in conjunction with thinking that would be the thing that would bring me there or not, but uh, it was definitely something that helped change my mind to go there. Cause there, you know, I could have went to Seattle. I could have went to the Raiders. I could have went to New Orleans. There was a lot of other teams that were bidding, but um, that situation I thought was the best for me at that time. I got one phone call. It was from Buffalo and they were, they were offering me minimum and I had a guaranteed deal on the table with Toronto. Buffalo's offering me minimum. And then they have a head coaching change. Mark Levy initially was excited about me. He decides now I'm retiring. So now I'm still sweating it out with a new coach, which was Wade Phillips. Is he still going to – come on, give me a chance. So a little different situation leaving. <laughs> you bring up a good point, though, and I, I bring this up all the time. We're, we're talking earlier about um, quarterbacks moving from team to team right now and Deshaun Watson wanting to uproot and move to a different situation. And, and I always say be careful what you ask for because, you know, especially in football, you need everything around you in place to be successful. I really believe that. And so much is a player coach relationship. Um, and that, when you bring that up about going to Houston, you know, you know, there's a coach that believes in you that really makes it easier for you to go to that team. What do you think of Deshaun's situation and what can, can you relate to a guy that's wanting to uproot and move and, and, and what's ahead? Yeah, I think I can relate to his situation only because I know so much about Houston and I know so much about that organization. Like you said, be careful what you wish for, but you want to have good players around you. And one of the things that Houston has done is taken some of their best players and gotten rid of them. You take his best wide receiver, Hopkins, and you trade him away for essentially a second-round draft pick. And uh, you, know, you take Clowney and you can let a guy like that get away from the organization or the left tackle Brown. I mean – all of a sudden, you let him go away. Your your left tackle, who who blocks your 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 backside, just just great players that they just let get away from that that organization. And everybody's talking about the dysfunction there. Well, their, their team president, who's been there since the beginning, just resigned last week. And then you got the equipment people; they're resigning and leaving. So people are leaving, going out the door like crazy. Everybody doesn't really know that, but all they know is Deshaun Watson wants to leave. So. They, they were wondering, why would he want to leave an organization like that? Well, it's not just him. There's a lot of other people that feel that same dysfunction in the organization. And he wants to go to an organization that's on the same path as him as wanting to win. And this guy's used to winning. He won a national championship in college, played in another national championship game. Uh, he's been to the playoffs two or three years since he's been there. Now he just sees the team declining. And then you got a, a guy like, J.J. Uh, Watt, who's been the face of that franchise for the last 10 years, saying he wants out. So there's a, a big reason why Deshaun wants to get out of there and move to an organization that, that wants to win and is dedicated to winning. Well, I look at Deshaun and I, I see a guy with all the skills, all the ability to throw it down the field and the, the athleticism that is such a big part of the game now and today that 
uh, in our era really wasn't the the big part of the game at the quarterback position. Yeah, you know, I, I go back to watching him in college, and, and like you said, winning a national championship was playing for one the other year. In both games, he just played lights out. I mean, you know, no stage was too big for him or is too big for him. He is a Super Bowl caliber quarterback that gets in the right situation, could win it all. And I look at what Tom Brady did this year and and bouncing over to Tampa, and you know, they go on to. It, I find it hard. I, I'm jealous of all the quarterbacks that had an opportunity to stay with one team their entire career and continue to build on that offense and all that. And I wish I had that opportunity. And to see Tom go to a new team, win it all, but it didn't just happen. He went to a team that had a great defense, that had great wide receivers, and everything was in place there for Tom when he went to Tampa. Yeah, and they, they put things in place. The things they didn't have, they went out and got. They drafted the right tackle, Worfs, from, uh, from Iowa uh, to make sure they solidified that side. The left tackle was already there, but they made sure they signed him back and didn't lose him to free agency. Uh, they go out and get uh, Fournette, the running back. Uh, so they did everything they needed to do and added the pieces that weren't there. Even though they had a whole lot of pieces there, they went and added a few pieces. They added Gronkowski, somebody who was like a security blanket for him, a good friend of his somebody that he could hang out with as well as do things on the field with. So they did everything they could to make him comfortable. And I think that's kind of what you see quarterbacks looking for now. They see what happened with Tom Brady and, and what a team and an organization was committed to doing for this guy. And they'd like to see the same things like that done for them. And maybe you get the same results. So, so I understand why some of these quarterbacks, you know, like Carson Wentz and uh, Matthew Stafford, who left and went to the Rams, all these different guys just want to get out of these organizations that aren't going in the same direction that they want to go. About the out in Seattle, there were some rumblings about Russell Wilson. I mean, I can't imagine him leaving Seattle, but how's the Seahawks situation with him? I think they understand that, that they need to uh, upgrade their offensive line. They've tried to do that every year. Uh, like I said, they brought in Dwayne Brown from Houston a couple of years ago. He's been solid at the left tackle. They brought in Mike Upati, who's been an all-pro at uh, left guard, but he's been on and off hurt. His big thing is he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. So, They've had a lot of injuries in their offensive line, but, you know, protection, there's a lot of things that go into protection. And and you know this, that you have to, first of all, be able to have the right type of uh, protection uh, protections in place. Uh, You got to make sure the center is making the right call. Then the quarterback has to make sure if if there's something that that the center doesn't see, then he's got to make the call to to make sure that there's no overload where he doesn't get too much pressure. Uh, and then you got to have the right play. And, and if they do bring pressure, the quarterback's got to get the ball out of his hands and throw it to his hot receiver. So there's a lot of things that, that go into it. And um, I think if you looked at Russell's sacks over the last part of his career, some of those are he's responsible for. He, he likes to hold the ball. He's a guy that thinks he can escape a lot. And sometimes he does and makes some tremendous plays outside the pocket. Then there's other times where he doesn't escape and he takes a big sack because he's trying to get a way to make a play as opposed to throwing the football away. So protection goes a lot of different ways, but there's no question they could make their offensive line a little bit stronger to help him. And so he doesn't have to take as many hits and he is getting a little bit older. So he's not going to be able to make all those type of athletic plays much longer. Uh, You know, he'll be 33 years old this season. So you start to lose some of that. And um, maybe he does want to be protected a little bit more because he feels like he's not able to make as many of those spectacular outside-the-pocket plays as he used to do, do in the past. Yeah, I was talking with Kurt Warner last week about this, and I thought, you know, in Tom Brady winning, winning a Super Bowl, it was almost methodical. Like, he, you go back to that game, he didn't have those dynamic, you know, scrambling Patrick Mahomes plays or, or the – 
the, the highlight that's going to be shown for 30 years. It was get the ball out of your hand, read the blitz. Is that a dying art at the quarterback position or is that the way it has to be in order to win in the NFL? I mean, the only guy that I ever thought was just so darn athletic that he could run around and make plays was Michael Vick. You know, that, that, that he was so athletic that it didn't matter sometimes. And Mahomes is borderline that. You know, Mahomes can – he can kill you from the pocket, but he really likes to escape and hang on and all that. What do you see the future of the quarterback position from, you know, the guys that are going to be elite and win championships? Do they have to win from the pocket? Well, you definitely have to be a more of a hybrid type of quarterback these days um, and have some type of movement in your game. You know, Tom's able to get away with it still. They – they uh matched their protection for what his skill set is. They, they kept the tight end in a lot, so he had a lot of six- and seven-man protections. They'd send three or four guys out into the route as opposed to, to uh, let, sending everybody out into the route and, and making him have to you know, make a lot of hot reads or whatever. They, they blocked him up and let him find the right mismatches, and it worked for him. Um, but for the guys that are coming up now, they have to have some type of movement ability to be able to move the pocket, to be able to escape the pocket, be able to make some throws on the run, because these defensive linemen now, they're, they're really not linemen anymore on the edge. These guys are four, five, four, six, four, four, some of them running off those edges. And you're going to have to be able to elude some of these guys in order to make some plays with your legs. So uh, that's why you have to have a little bit more of a hybrid type of quarterback. You, you look at Josh Allen in Buffalo, you know, he's able to do that type of thing. You look at Sam Darnold, he's got good movement. You look at Lamar Jackson, I mean, all these guys are going to be able to move your legs and, and make something happen, or you're going to be a sitting duck in that pocket. And uh, so that's where I think the quarterback position is going um, because of the way the defenses are, are, are geared. These guys are so athletic on the edge, and they're even athletic inside, like an Aaron Donald, somebody like that that's giving you pressure all the time coming up the middle. You've got to be able to avoid some of these guys and make some plays. I spent five years in the NFL as a backup, and then I went to Canada. I, I ran a four five forty, and this is about 1990. I go to Canada for eight years. When I was in the late 80s running my four five, I was as fast as anyone on the field except for maybe Deion Sanders and the elite wide receiver and the elite DB, right? Right. You could run circles around defensive ends and linebackers. They, that didn't phase me when a guy came free. I come back in 98. Defensive ends are running 4-4. You got the Julius Peppers of the world and guys that are running stupid 40 times at the linebacker position and Ray Lewis shows up and it just changes the game. It does. What, what used to be, hey, if I don't like something, I'm holding on to the ball and I can just do whatever to, you've got to learn your offense. You've got to know how to change protections to protect yourself. That's something I thought Tom was great at when I was in New England with him. Is And now with the double cadence they do at the line of scrimmage, they make a defense show their hand, adjust the protection quickly, pick things up, stand there, know you're protected, and throw the ball. And that's the challenge for young quarterbacks. And a lot of these young quarterbacks that are, are the dual threat guys that are athletic are so used to getting the audibles from the sideline in college and being in the right play for the right defense so the ball's just out. And that's the opportunity. Now, I'd love, I would love to play in these offenses today. You were basically a spread them out in, in Houston, weren't you? My last years there, we went to the run and shoot, so we kind of spread things out and you know, ran four wides every down. And and uh, a lot of the things they're doing today are the things we did in the run and shoot. You know, the same pass route combinations, uh, the, the back shoulder throws, all that stuff we did way back in 1990. Um, and everybody thought it was gimmicky. Now it's what football is all about. So 
you like to think you played a little bit of a of a role in the in the expansion of the game. Um, and I love it. I love spreading it out and throwing it all over the place. It does take away from your running game, especially what we were doing, because we didn't have a tight end in our offense. We didn't have a tight end on the roster. Where nowadays these tight ends are, are hybrid type guys where they're big, you know, they're agile, they're, they got big catch radiuses, but you can also bring them in next to the tackle and run the football if you need to as well. But we didn't have that luxury. We were always throwing, we had a two or three different running plays just to keep the defense uh, off balance. But uh, that's the biggest difference between what we were doing and what's going on now is these tight ends are so athletic, and so, but they're still big, big, fast guys, you know, 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, uh, you look at Travis Kelsey, you look at Gronkowski. I mean, you look at all these different tight ends around the league, uh, George Kittle over at San Francisco. These guys run like wide receivers, but they can also block the edge if you, if you need them to. Was that Jack Pardee coming over from Houston Gamblers? Jimmy uh, Jimmy Kelly was there for those first few years, and they, they threw it around a bunch. And I'm sure you knew about that. My best years were in Buffalo, and I had Eric Moulds. And Eric was my ex. And when he's one-on-one, the ball's going his way. Did you have that guy that you leaned on that if it's manly, or was it about the route, or was it about the matchup? It was about the matchup, but you also had that guy that no matter what the matchup was, if you needed a throw, if you needed a completion, you felt good to go to him. And the guy I played with in um, in Minnesota, Chris Tarter, was that guy for me. Um, you know, Chris was – he was big. He was like six two and a half for for that that time. He was two hundred and fifteen pounds. He had great uh, leaping ability. He was a basketball player, so he used his body very very well as far as shielding people off. He wasn't going to run by you or anything like that. But when the ball was in the air, you could you could throw it to him when he's covered, and he's going to make the fifty fifty ball for you. So he was that guy for me when I needed a clutch catch. Uh, I'd go to him and. Uh, I did have Joey Galloway when I was in uh, Seattle, and, and he, he could run as fast as any guy I've ever been around. Uh, didn't adjust to the ball as well, but I tell you what, if I threw it out there, I, I'd never overthrow him. I mean, he, he, could, he could run under anything. So you have those certain guys in, in certain offenses, but you know, Chris was probably the guy that um, I had the most success with because he, was, he gave me that great look in practice every day. He was always full speed in practice, so you knew what you got in practice was going to be in the game, where some guys glide in practice, and then they get in the game and they got another gear. He wasn't that way, and I always had a good feel for what was going to happen with him game day because of how we practiced during the week. Okay, I want to shift gears because I want to have a little fun. I, I think back to my CFL days. How about the worst facility you ever had to, as a, a visiting player that you had to visit? Probably Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying that. I hated playing there, not only for the facility, <laughs> but the wind. Oh, my God. The wind was unbelievable. And then the fans, man, they only had like 35,000 fans, but they were loud and rowdy. And, I mean, they called you every type of name that there was coming out of that tunnel. But um, – yeah, you, you hang your clothes on a freaking uh, nail. On a nail. Yeah. <laughs> there was a nail. And sometimes you had cold water, hot water when the game was over. Sometimes you didn't. You, you had to flip a coin to make sure if you were going to get a hot shower after the game was over. So, yeah, Saskatchewan's hands down. That was the place that I, I didn't like. Saskatchewan, <laughs> Saskatchewan had a bench for seats. You had a bench, and above the bench, there was a two-by-four in the wall that went the length of the wall, and there were nails yes. in the two-by-four, and that was your locker, and you hung it up. And then the field, the field itself, and I don't know if this was new. I, I got there 90. So the field was artificial turf. Yeah. 
but it was a sand-based turf and it was really, really slick. You had to wear like rain turfs with the long right. nubs on them to, to get any kind of traction. But what they did, they figured they would save money in the long haul if they put white turf down on the lines and green turf for the field. They didn't paint the lines. The lines were a different color turf. So over the years, the hash marks and the yard lines started moving and swaying. And if you look down the sideline, it was not a straight line. <laughs> This this was Saskatchewan. Um, the other, you, I'm gonna tell you what. When I came to the NFL, and when you go to Cleveland, Cleveland had the same situation in their locker room. We had nails <laughs> that we hung our clothes on in Cleveland's old municipal stadium. And again, we we didn't know if we always were gonna have a hot shower after those games were over because uh, I don't know how that happened. Maybe the team had something to do with it. I'm not sure, but we did not have hot water sometimes after those games. The king of the cold shower was was in Winnipeg, Cal Murphy. Cal, the owner of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, would, would nickel and dime and save every way he could. So he'd turn off the hot water in the, the <laughs> opposing locker room. And he would give, you know, your per diem was like 105 bucks for the weekend. No. He would give 50 bucks and 65 bucks in coupons to local restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> worst weather game, worst weather game. Worst weather game. Our, we had a Western final, I think, in, uh, what was it, maybe 1982. Against Winnipeg, minus forty-two Celsius. Minus forty-two Celsius. <laughs> Mike Tarico, I am not lying. I'm not lying. But I told, I told him I had a minus twenty-four kickoff with a minus forty-four with a minus eighty-five wind. Yeah, Calgary. Craziness. They 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 look at the ice bowl now. Yeah, you know, where Bart Starr's quarterback sneak into the end zone and it's minus four yeah. or something. Yeah, like and they're thinking yeah. it's the greatest, the coldest game in the world. Come on. World. <laughs> go, up, go up to Canada you want to play cold, man. And the wind, the wind, the people just don't know about that wind. There's nothing blocking that wind coming in there on those prairies. We used to love just to get to the Grey Cup because we got to go east where the weather was actually decent, you know, that time of year, you know? When Warren talks about the Western Final, it's like an AFC-NFC championship game. The Western Final was it was east and west in Canada, and that was the game to go to the Grey Cup. And that was I, – I played a Western Final for Calgary against Edmonton in Calgary where I had the nastiest right. weather I'd ever played in. What did you think about the rivalry between Calgary and Edmonton? I thought that was a great, great rivalry when I played there. Oh, that was legit. And we would play back to back. We played on Labor Day, uh, the Labor Day Classic, in, in one city. And then three days later, like we would play a Monday, Friday and go up to Edmonton and play. They started playing the, the same team four days apart. Yeah, the prep wasn't a big deal. The, the recovery, as you got older, was a big deal. It was a great rivalry. They, I, I left British Columbia and came over to Calgary. And it was my first year in Calgary. And everybody was trying to emphasize how this is the most important game of the year on Labor Day. We have to beat Edmonton. It's like the fan base. This is how season ticket sales go the rest of the year. I had my worst game ever in the CFL that day and threw a bunch of interceptions and we get beat. We ended up winning the Grey Cup that year, but that was my worst game. But it, it was a true rivalry. And I don't think you couldn't have told me when I won a Grey Cup that it was any different from what a winning a Super Bowl would have felt right. like. You know, my first year, especially early no on. Question. Did it feel that way? Championship is a championship, no matter what level you win it on. You know, whether it's in high school, whether it's in college, whether it's in pro football, it doesn't matter. Even Pop Warner, I, I, I still remember my Pop Warner championship. I mean, you just remember those moments. You know, you just remember how you felt as a team in those moments. So nothing, nothing better than bringing a team together and winning a championship no matter where you are. 
Yeah, I, I had an eighth grade basketball team that went undefeated. <laughs> and I still remember that. I still remember that. that uh, it takes a lot some, to make that happen, too. You know, that's what people don't understand. I could reminisce about CFL days. All, you know, I, we still have our uh, – I go back for the reunions of championship teams and all that. And, and like you say, the bonds, uh, just amazing. And I'm sure you, you have those through your NFL teams as well. Uh, I want to thank you for joining me. I think this is – you know, I love talking – with our generation quarterbacks about the game more than anything, you know, and, and how, how much that actually goes on at the line of scrimmage that, that the fan doesn't realize and, and the things that we, uh, whereas we talk protections and all that. So thank you so much for joining me, Warren. Always great talking to you, Doug. I've always had great respect for you, man, because we, we kind of came up the same way. We, we had those chips on our shoulder. People told us we couldn't do things for whatever reason they told us, but we, uh, we persevered and we showed them that we could be successful and, uh, I congratulate you on all your success, and thanks for having me on today. Hello, everyone. This is Bruce Murray. You may know me as host of the SiriusXM Blitz on SiriusXM NFL Radio. Here now to introduce you to my new podcast, Going Long. Every week, I'll talk to big names both in and out of the world of sports, Hall of Famers, actors, actresses, comedians, broadcasters, maybe even some chefs. We'll discuss their lives, their successes, their failures, and of course, the one thing that connects all of them, a passion for sports. So join me every Thursday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, and Apple Podcast for Going Long sit here and talk CFL days with Warren Moon all day long. I, I thoroughly adored those days. So much fun. Uh, the time schedule in, in Canada was you could only keep the team for four and a half hours because it was set up as a part-time job. And I think part of that is what made it so much fun that you spent a lot of extra time on your own studying film and, uh, and just playing football. And I really respect Warren because I know what he went through. I understand what he went through in order to get his opportunity in the NFL. And uh, yeah, I pretty much had to do the same. So that's why we are so uh, connected with the CFL. We love those days. We love talking about those teams we played for, the championships we had, how it propelled us into the rest of our careers. Remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on SiriusXM app or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, if you want to jump in with us and be a part of it, uh, hit me up at Twitter, at Doug Flutie, both at Instagram and Twitter, at Doug Flutie, and throw some questions out there for our podcast, and we will try to get to them. And along those lines, I've got a couple of questions from this week. Uh, let's start off with the top one, which was, uh, what was the toughest road stadium to play in in the CFL and NFL? And as Warren and I were talking about for the CFL, it wasn't necessarily the fans that made the difference. Although for me, the toughest stadium was up in Edmonton because it was a rivalry game. It was the only grass field in the CFL. It was more about weather conditions in the CFL and having to play in the prairies of, of Winnipeg or Saskatchewan and dealing with, I'm totally serious. I played in 75 mile an hour winds, which is hurricane gusts. And that was in Winnipeg. So that is usually the problem up there is dealing with weather conditions. NFL fields. I'll tell you what, the Houston Astrodome back when, when Warren played, the field was so rough. I remember seeing a wide receiver dive and catch a ball and slide. His helmet got caught in a seam and his body flipped over. It looked like he broke his neck. He did not. He was fine. It was Scott McGee, actually, a buddy of mine. But uh, playing in the NFL, everywhere was loud and everywhere the biggest problem was communication. Everything wasn't done with hand signals and at the line like it is done now. So I tell you, when I played in Indianapolis in the dome, I remember being on the goal line 
And for four straight plays, the center could not hear the cadence. And it was just my hand pressure on his butt in order for him to snap the ball. And we got in on fourth and short. So the noise level in the dome stadiums in the NFL was always an issue. Uh, let's say a guy like Tom Brady gets drafted by the Lions or Bears instead of the Pats. Does he have the same career? How important is it to hand, to land in a good situation as a young quarterback development? First of all, for Tom, uh, no, you don't have the same career. You sit and wait for that opportunity until the team, uh, he had to sit in New England for the team to come around him and, and all of a sudden talent level picks up and you, you start to have your career. A perfect parallel to this Steve Young. Steve Young went to Tampa Bay. It was a struggling team. Steve struggled for a few years through a lot of interceptions. He, everyone was saying he was a bust. Goes to San Francisco to back up Joe Montana. Now, all of a sudden, when he gets his opportunity, he shines, he takes off, he becomes a Hall of Fame quarterback. So in the NFL, I say this more than any other team sport, in basketball, you can get your 30 points a game. In baseball, you can hit 340 home runs and be on a losing team. You can pitch great and have a low ERA. But in football, you need the entire team around you in order for you to get your numbers in to win. And I think that's uh, more so than any other sport out there. I want to thank you for joining us and, and hanging out with us in the podcast. Thank my guest, Warren Moon. Uh, so much fun reminiscing about our CFL days. Again, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast at uh, your SiriusXM app or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much. I'm Doug Flutie. SiriusXM Podcasts.